Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all the generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. I'm excited that we're starting a new sermon series today. So keep your Bibles open there to Exodus um, chapter 1. Um, you know, I think even if you're here for the first time and you're not a Christian and you're here checking us out, I think you will have known some part of the Exodus story, possibly. You may have seen the movie, um, a Hollywood picture. You may have seen the Ten Commandments. But all of us in some way have probably been touched by the book of Exodus. But I encourage you now to have it open in front of you as we come to the first seven verses um, of this book. Today, um, we're looking at resetting. We want to reset as a church. We've called this Reset Sunday. And today, we want to just reset in the midst of a foggy and a hazy world. If you think about the last couple of years, maybe you've been living in this sort of fogness. You've been living in this haziness, thinking, what is the purpose of life? What am I doing here in Sydney at this moment, at this time, and in this century? And so today, we want to we be reminded that as a church, we're going to reset. We're going to get the, you know, in a way, have a start of a new beginning. And we want to look today at what it means for us as a church. Where do we fit into the purposes of God? But maybe, you know, as you think about the last year, the last two years, the last three years, you feel tired, exhausted. You think, What's, what am I meant to be doing here in life? Maybe as a parent, right now you're feeling, oh, you're just overwhelmed because in your life you're just dropping kids every night of the week to sport and you're like, that's my purpose in life. Maybe you're a young mum who's got three kids under the age of four and you're just like, whew, I'm tired and I'm exhausted. And you think, really, what is this? Is this what I'm meant to be doing in life? Maybe you've just retired and you're thinking, man, I've had a great 40 years doing this, but now what is my purpose in life? And if we've had a certain purpose, the last two years has probably ripped that kind of purpose out of the ground. And so today we want to reset and have a new beginning. And to think as a church, what's our mission? What's our purpose here? Because we all have a purpose in life. We're all trying to work out what we are here to do in life. You know, as you look maybe at Richard Branson, you think, man, he's a millionaire. And you think, man, he seems to have purpose in life. You look at Scott Morrison and politicians, I think they, they seem to have a good purpose in life. You look at the, you know, Rafael Nadal last week who won a 21st Grand Slam. He is driven and he has purpose in life. And you think, man, what about my purpose? Or maybe you, you, you're not in the foggy stage, you're not in the haze of life where you're thinking, man, life is so busy, I'm trying to work out my purpose. Maybe life at this moment is actually really good for you. You're married, you've got a wonderful house that's looking beautiful, you've, your career has taken off, your wife's career has taken off, and your plan is to have a wonderful life, you know, you're going to plan to have just two kids, a pigeon pair, and in a couple of years we'll worry about that, then once we have kids, then we'll, you know, we'll get the 
our retirement settled and life will be good. What is our purpose? And so today I want us to reset. Or maybe today you're just feeling like if I was to die today, no one would notice that I was even gone. No one would even know that I'm gone. And so who are we? What's our place in this world, our purpose and our mission? And so today we're starting a series in the book of Exodus that's going to go for 14 weeks. We're going to cover 15 chapters in a book that's all about God making himself known to us. Because it can be really easy to think that the world revolves around us in Toon Gabby or Blacktown or Seven Hills. We look at our little world of dropping kids off to sport or whatever it might be and we go, wow, this is our story. And yet we forget the real big story of what's going on in the world. And so I want to set the scene. So we're going to look at seven verses today. You think, oh man, really, is there much in these seven verses? And I've got three things for us to reset on. A great moment to draw a line in the sand for us as a church. And if you're here for the first time and you're not a Christian, it might, it hopefully it might be a great chance for you just to see that God's actually got a really big story going on that you may not have known about. And so here's how we're going to reset. Here's the first one, God's on mission. It's great to be reminded that God is on mission. See, in the first five verses of Exodus, we find that God is actually on mission. God's not distant. He's not disactive. See, God isn't a God who, who created the universe and just wound it up like a watch and he's let it go. And you sit here thinking, God is far removed from what I've been through the last year. God's got no idea. He's just stepping back. But actually, Exodus reminds us that God is actually very active in this world. God isn't a God who's distant, but he's actually very present. And we get to verse 1 and we read, These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. I think, wow, okay, that's interesting. There's, I don't know, if there's English teachers in here, there's two. Oh, I'm not really good at English. You probably worked that out. I, I really don't stick to the rules of English. But there's two rules I remember from school. The first one was, I before E except after C. I think that's right, isn't it? Now, that rule doesn't always work. And there's another rule. You never start a sentence with and, A-N-D. Did you know that? You will be pinged in your English exam if you start a sentence with and. Now, if you've immigrated to this country, I'm not sure maybe and was okay to start a sentence, but here in Australia, to start a sentence with and, it's no go. But here in Exodus, chapter 1, verse 1, guess what he starts with? Now, you don't see it in the English, because the Hebrew starts with the word and. It starts with the word and, and these are the names. And what it's doing is, actually, it's connecting the story of Exodus to all of Genesis. So you can't read Exodus on its own. It'd be like watching the Hunger Games catching fire, but never watching the Hunger Games. It'd be like, you know, um, reading Prince Caspian in the Narnia series and never reading The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. You won't get what's going on. It'd be like reading the end of the trilogy of the, the Lord of the Rings and yet never have read The Hobbit. And so as you come to these first verses of Exodus, we need to be reminded that this isn't just a story on its own, but it's like chapter two of a five-part series, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then this five-part series is a part of 66 books of the Bible. So don't 
Don't read Exodus without knowing Genesis. And we need to know Genesis well to understand this book today. And so we get to verse 2 and we get, you know, like Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Scar, Zebulun and Benjamin. Verse 4, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. Like imagine naming some of your kids this. It'd be great, wouldn't it? And the descendants of Jacob numbered 70. Now, when you hear that, it's just a genealogy, isn't it? You think, yeah, wow, who cares? I don't know about you, but I jump over genealogies all the time. But I think the reason we jump over genealogies in the Bible is purely we've forgotten the book of Genesis. We've actually forgotten the big story of God and his purpose and his plan and his mission. Because see, when you have a genealogy, when we have these descendants, what happens is every time we read a genealogy, it's pointing us back. It's connecting us to the past. It's connecting to us to something in the past that has happened. The last couple of years I've done, you know, read the Bible in a year. Have you ever got to 1 Chronicles chapter 1? Go home, read 1 Chronicles chapter 1. And then 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. There is nine chapters of just people's names. And guess what I'm always tempted to do? It's, it's, it's like day off, isn't it? But the reason I jump over it is because I've forgotten God's mission. I've forgotten the bigger story of Genesis. Because these first couple of verses here in Exodus actually remind the people of Israel who are in darkness at this moment, or as Israel is about to cross over into the wilderness, cross over from the wilderness into Canaan to conquer Jericho. As they read this, or as they read it when they're in exile in Babylon, they're reading this and they're being reminded that actually, no, you are a known people and God has a promise that he's going to keep. See, these people that are in Egypt in Exodus, they are not here by random chance. They're actually here by the sovereign will and the sovereign plan of the Almighty God. So to be grounded in Genesis, we need to know, so to be grounded in Exodus, we need to know Genesis. That the God of all creation has actually led them to this place. Because see, Exodus is a sequel to Genesis. And I'm just, I'm just going to go to, just for a moment, I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 46. Now you can go there if you want, you don't have to, but I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 46. And you'll notice something in Genesis chapter 46 verse 8. These are the names of the sons of Israel. Jacob and his descendants who went to Egypt. And we, we, we'll read, we've got Reuben, we've got Simeon, we've got Levi, we've got Judah. And then at the end it tells us that they all went to Egypt in verse 27 they all went to Egypt with 70 in all you think do you, do you see there's a connect like Exodus is straight away just said in the first four verses you need to know Genesis chapter 46 and what's Genesis 40 how how is this man Jacob and 70 people ended up in Egypt well let's be reminded of that Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob is an interesting bloke. He grows up and he's a deceiver. He just deceives. He deceives his brother. He deceives his dad. Now, if you think you've got a dysfunctional family here today, you need to read Jacob's family. It is so dysfunctional. It would blow you away. So Jacob, who's a bit of a deceiver, he deceives his dad. He has 12 boys, but 
this man, Jacob, guess what happens? He has a favourite son called Joseph. So he has 12 boys. Number 12, it's daddy's favourite. He gets him a coat. And guess what? The other 11 brothers, they know that he is the favourite and they are jealous, envious and annoyed. Joseph knows he's the favourite. And guess what? When the favourite does, they play it well. And Joseph plays his cards very well. He knows he can agitate his brothers. And so Jacob, he keeps his son home, but the other 11 have to go out and feed the sheep. And so Jacob says, hey, Joseph, can you just go out and check on them? And so Joseph finds them. And he's sort of a bit humorous in how he finds them. But they're in a place on a road that leads to Egypt. And the brothers see him coming. And guess what the 11 brothers do? They plot to murder. They plot to kill their brother Joseph. And so they, they, they grab him, they throw him in a hole, they grab his coat that their dad has given him to show him the favourite. So they grab the coat and they want to kill him. But one of the brothers is a little, he starts to feel sorry and says, No, we can't kill him. And so what do they do? They sell them to these traders who end up in Egypt. And what the boys do? They grab the coat, they kill a goat, they drip the coat in blood and they come back to their dad and say, hey dad, we've lost Joseph and here's his coat. And what does his dad do? His dad breaks down because my son has been eaten by ferocious animals. The very man who's deceived everyone in his life is then deceived by his own family. And Joseph ends up in Egypt. And what happens for Joseph is he gets friendly, he he becomes the most powerful person in Egypt, which was probably one of the most powerful nations in the world at that time. He came second in charge just below Pharaoh. And a famine hits. These people of God, a famine hits. And Jacob's like, we need food. And so he sends his sons down to Egypt. They don't know that Joseph's alive. And eventually they find out this, this, this person is Joseph. And they have this family reunion. And Jacob and the 70 all end up in Egypt. But why does that matter? Why does it matter that he's mentioned 70? Why does it matter that we have these genealogies? Well, that's where I've got to go take you back to Genesis chapter 12. So hang with me. We've got to, we've got to get the right picture here of going what's really going on. And in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to this man, Abram. He picks this man out, Abram. And he said, which is going to become Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I want you to listen to these words. I will make you into a great nation. Now to be a great nation, what do you need? People. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you, you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Keep that in the back of your mind for next week. But then here, read this. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All people. But this is one bloke. Think, man, what's the odds of him affecting the world? And then you get to Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham spe God speaks with Abraham and he says to Abraham, hey, come outside your tent. Come out. And he says to Abraham, and at this moment, right, Abraham's old. His wife is old, right? Scientifically, they cannot have kids. That she's barren. There's no chance in the world that they can have kids. And yet God has said, I'm going to make a great nation through you. And you think, huh? It's not going to happen. And God says to Abraham on that day, he says, look at the stars. Count the stars. There's millions, there's thousands, there's millions of stars. And he says, you count them and that's going to be your people. 
so shall your offspring be. Wow. Like God is on mission. See, God has got this promise. He's made to Abraham, I'm going to make you huge and you're going to multiply. And then we get to Exodus again. Exodus chapter 1. See, Jacob's name has been moved to Israel, which means God rules, God reigns. And we get to verse 5. And you go, the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. That's pretty dismal. Do you, like, you think, oh. Because this is 70 people who have come to Egypt amongst estimated population of, say, 2.5 to 3.5 million people in Egypt at that time. Now you put, do the maths, do the compound interest about a nation of, say, 2.5 million people breeding to a people of 70. What's going to happen? And so we read, and, you think, and they die, and you think, man, 70 people? Really, God? What's going to happen? The odds are against them. Has God failed? Where is God in all of this? And as you read the rest of Exodus chapter 1, you think, where is God? He's nowhere. He appears to be nowhere. You think, what is God's plan and mission for them? See, verses 1 to 6, it points you back to the story of Genesis. And it connects it. But then we get to verse 7. And the story is just going to keep going. And, and I want you to read verse 7. Have a look at it with me. Because notice the English. Look, notice how they explain what's going on. Like he could have said it in one word. But what's he do? But the Israelites were, notice this, exceedingly fruitful. Now we get that, don't we, right? They're breeding like rabbits. We get that point. But he makes the point again. They multiply greatly. We get the point. No, no, they increased in number. And they became so numerous that the land was filled with them. He's tr the author is trying to convey something to us about this. See, God is on mission. He has a purpose and a plan for this world. There is a bigger story that is going on around us. And so we move on. And as we reset, we reset because God is on mission, but also because God is making himself known. That is point two. God is making himself known. That's what verse seven is about. See, to understand verse 7, the language has been used elsewhere. Where's it been used? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it's exactly the same wording as Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where God, he creates the earth, he creates all living beings, all living animals, and he creates humans. And what does he say to them? Go out and be fruitful and multiply. See, in Genesis chapter 28, God has got a purpose for us to fill the earth to make him known. And here we're reminded that's the plan. But we also understand that between Genesis chapter 1 and Exodus, there's some pretty big problems. We're dysfunctional people. We sinned. We stuffed up. In Genesis chapter 3, what did we do? We decided, no, no, God, it's better for us to do what we want. We don't want to make you known. We don't want to fill the earth. No, no, no. We want life our way. And Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And then God comes down and what does he do? He curses. He talks to the serpent. And he talks to the woman in Genesis chapter 3. And we get this taste of the gospel. The first gospel mentioned in the Bible where we see that God has a plan and a purpose. And he is going to make himself known. Where he says... 
from the, from the seed of Eve. See, from Eve's offspring is going to come someone who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And we read on and we read through the book of Genesis and we think Noah, like Noah's not exactly the most, you know, he builds the ark and then read the next chapter of when he's built the ark and gets out of the ark, what happens in the next chapter. You have people like Abraham who, who sells off, he's happy to sell off his wife. We read further and further and we see the mess and yet God has this mission of making himself known. See, Exodus is a book about God fulfilling what he's promised it's his mission see in exodus chapter 9 god uses moses to speak to this pharaoh this is this king the most powerful man in the world and he says to this king i have raised you up for this very purpose that i might show my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth see god is on about making sure his name is proclaimed to the ends of the earth and so this family of god in the exodus as they sit there in darkness as they think there what are we doing what are we here for exodus is just one action-packed story isn't it story after story of moses in the basket of the plagues of the crossing of the red sea there are so many action-packed stories just in this one sequel to the books of genesis that it's amazing but here's the point it's not about all those stories. It's actually all about God making himself known through those stories. He's making himself known through it. He's revealing himself. God is making himself known. If you wonder what your purpose is. And, and, and as you read the Bible, as you read like places like Exodus, as you read things like the book of Judges, as you read the kings, you start to think, really, God, are you, is the plan actually going to happen? There's so many hurdles on the way. It looks like God's plan is always dusted and done. Like Noah, like Abraham, like Jacob, like King David, like King Solomon. We think, is, is the snake crusher ever going to come? Is it, it's just going to fold in a heap. Where is God in all of this? And maybe I wonder if today you're feeling like that in the 21st century, in 2022, thinking, where is God? Maybe you're thinking, oh man, what's the state of the church? What's going to happen? It's all going to fold. It may look like it's done and dusted. And, and we get to the New Testament and we have the people of God so excited because Jesus the Messiah is here. The world is going to change. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to have a king in place who's going to give us everything we want. But guess what? It looked like it was done and dusted. As Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he gets captured. He gets arrested. It looks, what's going to happen? God's plan? God's snake crusher? God's plan of salvation? What is really going to happen? It's done and dusted, isn't it? And then Jesus, he's standing before Herod and Pontius Pilate. And they rip his hair out, they rip his beard out, they put a crown of thorns on him. And as, as every blood-stained nail went through his hand and went into the timber, every, every hit and every hit you think, is this plan just done and dusted? As the darkness covered the sky for many hours, is it done? As Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can think, is God done and dusted? And yet on the third day, he was raised from the grave, conquering sin and death. 
and God's plan to crush the snake was done. And through the seed of Eve, through Abraham, Jacob, through that family comes the Jesus. And yet for us, as we connect ourselves to the genealogies in the past, we are reminded that Jesus is connected to them. And it's our story. We're a part of it. We've been brought into this. And what does Jesus do? Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. And Jesus says to each one of us, he says, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and teaching them to obey. See, Jesus made God known and Jesus sends us out in this world. He's saying, hey, through you, I'm going to make myself known. See, Exodus calls us back. Exodus calls us to look back to the past, but at the same time, it calls you and me to look back to the cross. And you see Jesus with 12 disciples and you think, hang on, how's this all going to play out? And yet how big is Christianity today around the world? See, God's making himself known. You are in this city, you're in your suburb, you're here at this time and you have a purpose in your suffering and in your darkness. You're not here by coincidence. We're seeing that God has a plan to fill the earth so that everyone might know who he is. And therefore, that's an implication for us, isn't it? Because we've been drawn into that. Let's reset and let's be reminded that our little story is, it's, it's been brought into the big story. Point three, we are drawn into that mission. We've been brought, drawn into that mission through Jesus. See, verses 1 to 7 reminds all of us that there's a bigger story going on. See, the book of Exodus, it starts with mission. It starts with God's mission. It takes you back to Genesis. Here's God's plans. And it ends, the book of Exodus in Exodus 40 ends with, we've been saved for God's glory. We've been saved for a reason. And throughout the book of Exodus, God is making his glorious purposes known, his character, his compassion, his redemption, his judgment. We've been saved for God's glory. What is our mission? Are you wondering what is our purpose? We get saturated, don't we, by our little world. And we think the world revolves around us. And yet Exodus says, no, 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 you, you said the big story? There's this big story that you've been drawn into. Do you grasp the magnitude of what you've been saved into? Do you see what you're actually a part of? And so it gives you purpose as you raise three kids. It gives you purpose as a lawyer. It gives you purpose as a builder. Because we are not saved for ourselves. That's a very shallow view of Christianity. We are saved for the world to know Jesus. It's we're saved for his glory. What does it mean to be saved for his glory? It means that we tell of who he is. God is making himself known to the world through you. 
How incredible that is if you're a mum who's got sleepless nights and you just your eyes are bulging out of your head and you think, man, how long is this going to last? Your purpose is to make God known to your kids. As you retire and you think, what am I going to do? It's, it, your purpose is still the same. It's to, to make God known. See, our purpose isn't to be the great at best at everything. But our purpose is that through those things that we're involved in our life, we make God known. It gives purpose to our life. It connects us to the past, this story. It makes a uni student who's feeling overwhelmed by the world and thinking, man, what am, what's in front of me? It gives you purpose in this moment right now that you are here to make God known. The 80-year-old who can no longer get outside and mow the lawns and hang up their washing, it gives purpose in that moment. Through to the young mum, through to those neighbours, your neighbours in your street. You do not live in your street just by chance. You are there for this moment. So the Israelites ended up in Egypt for that moment, for God to make himself known. And so may we as a church get that big picture. Let's, let's have a moment where we can reset, have a new beginning and go, you know what, what's it about? It's about God, it's about his mission. And Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Look what you've been brought into. How amazing is that? But also at the same time, may we make sure that we as a church don't become a church that's just comfortable with air-conditioned, cushy seats, and we feel like it needs to be a cruise line experience. Because everything about being on a cruise boat is about you. Whereas when you're on a lifeboat, it's about everyone else. May we never get caught in that trap of our little stories and not see that that's connected to the bigger story of making God known to this world. That we remind ourselves we are actually on a lifeboat that we are thinking of others. And may we just get on board. Get, bo get on board that lifeboat. Dare we not bring our self-consumed worlds to that boat. We bring up you know, our, our beach balls and all those kind of things so that it becomes us-centered. But let's be on that lifeboat that says, hey, we are here to make God known. May we head out each day knowing this big story. May we head out each day in this lifeboat knowing God's mission. May we head out each day knowing that God is making himself known. Let's head out each day and remember that we've been drawn into that mission. We've been drawn into this mission of God. You are participating in something amazing. If you're here today and you're doubting, if you're here today thinking your life doesn't add up, if you're thinking here today, man, I've just got such a trivial role in this world, this story reminds you that you are participating in a far grander, magnificent story than most of the people around the world have even perceived of what's going on. But it also reminds us there's a reality as well. Here's the reality. The reality is that God is on mission and he's making himself known. And what we're going to see in a couple of weeks is that Pharaoh tried to stop that. But it flourished. 
That's the reality that God is on mission and he's making himself known through us. Therefore, it means God's not distant. That God's not out of the picture. That where you are right now is not trivial. But it also leads us, right, here's the reality. Are we going to be active or passive in it? If God is actually doing this work, are we as individuals or as a church, are we going to be active or passive in that? Are we going to be people who are going to make himself known or are we going to sit back and be passive in it? Look, look what we've been drawn into. Are we going to be active or are we going to be passive? It's, it's easy sometimes isn't it, to, to just turn up to church once a month and sort of just sit back and be comfortable. Or are we going to be active? Active that as we come, see, when we come on a Sunday, it's wonderful to sing, it's wonderful to do many things, but do we come expecting God to speak to us so that we know him better? Come to know him so that as we go out, we worship him and bring him glory. Active or passive? It's, it's, it's tough, isn't it? It's easy to be passive in this world. But are we going to be active on the mission of Jesus? to make and grow disciples of him. See, the book of Exodus is far bigger than what we could ever imagine. See, it's, we've got these wonderful Sunday school stories and we make it all about them, but actually what it is, it's all about God and his hugeness of how he's making himself known in this dysfunctional world. Maybe, may we join him in that. May we be active in it. William Booth was the founder of um, the Salvation Army. And he has this vision of the lost. He has this picture, it was ingrained in his mind, he had this picture um, of this turbulent water. He couldn't make it out, it was black and dark and windy and there's water going all around. And then out of the water he sees this rock and it's like a refuge. This rock comes out of the water and it looks like a refuge. And as he looks closer there's a platform there as well. And so as he looks and he sees this image, he sees closer, he starts to realise that in the, in, in the dark and blowy and the lightning and the rain and this world is swirling around, he sees lost people. He sees it vividly. And then he clicks closer and he realises that the rock that comes out of the water, that rock of refuge, he sees that as Jesus. That the cross, at the foot of the cross, we see that Jesus is our refuge. And he sees this platform. And he sees a platform where people who were lost, Jesus is out in the water and he's rescuing people. And he sees this platform. And as he looks closer at the platform where this rock of refuge is, he sees two types of people. He sees those who are sitting back on the platform, singing, rejoicing having a good time, sort of being passive in life. But he sees another group who are active, who are on the platform with their arms over the edge as Jesus is saving people. See, what William Booth saw and he sees in the world today, he sees will be active or passive. He saw that these people who had received such salvation, such grace, such gospel, had become so consumed by their little story that they were happy just to sit at the back under the rock on the platform while others saw the gospel and were active 
in making Jesus known. Let's pray. Let's be a church. That this year, that as we reset, may we reset on what we're meant to reset on. Let's reset on going, no, no, God has this really big mission and how wonderful by God's grace that we've been brought into that mission. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy just to, 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 to jump over six verses and just to see them as names, but actually not to see your big picture, your purpose, your plan. Father, what a picture that you've got this forever purpose, this forever plan that you've been working it out. And Father, we want to just say sorry for the way that we, we, we've rebelled, we've sinned, we forget that, we become centred on me and this world and our little story of our little street. Father, help us to see that we're in that street, in that place at this time by your grace, your mercy. And that, Father, you've drawn us into your kingdom. Just like you drew Moses out of the water, you've drawn us out and you've saved us through Christ for a purpose. So, Father, help us to live that out. Sorry for the times we've been passive, where we've forgotten that big picture, but, Father... Help us. May your spirit work in us powerfully. May we be consumed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, give us a sense of urgency as well. Give us a sense of urgency because of the reality of heaven and hell. Father, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus this year. May our own personal comforts, our own aspirations may they be recalibrated reset and aligned with you as parents as playing sport as doing school as retirement as mowing lawns whatever it may be reset us father so that we see our part and bring glory for you because you have saved us for your glory and so fix our eyes on him we pray amen